Let's take our Bibles this evening and turn to Micah chapter 7. <clears throat> Micah chapter 7 this evening. And we'll begin reading from verse 1. Micah chapter 7, verse 1, that says, Woe is me, for I am as when they have gathered the summer fruits, as the grape gleanings of the vintage. There is no cluster to eat. My soul desire the first ripe fruits. The good man is perished out of the earth, and there is none upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. They hunt every man, his brother with the nets, that they may do evil uh, with both hands earnestly. The prince asketh, and the judge asketh for a reward. Uh, and, the, and the great man, he uttereth his mischievous desire, so they wrap it up. The best of them is as a briar. The most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. The day of thy watchman and thy visitation cometh. Now shall be their perplexity. Trust ye not in a friend. Put ye not confidence in a guide. Keep the doors of thy mouth from her that lieth in thy bosom. The son dishonoreth the father. The daughter riseth up against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. Therefore I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this night. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity once again to gather in this place and to spend time singing praise to your name and to spend time around your word. And Lord, I pray that as we conclude the book of Micah this evening, that Lord, you would use me to your glory, that you give me wisdom and guidance as I speak. That Lord, it be your words, it be your thoughts this evening. Lord, you'd speak to each of our hearts, that you'd teach us through your word this evening, refresh us through it. That Lord, our eyes would be pointed towards you this evening, Lord, and that we leave singing your praises. And I praise things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I know it was a while ago, but in the previous chapter, that was a long time ago, we were there, back in August, I believe. <clears throat> but in the previous chapter, God had um, condemned the nation for their wickedness. You know, Israel had forgotten the Lord, and it was reflected in the way that they then treated one another. Now, they turned their back upon God's truth, upon God's holy law. They had forgotten Him, and that then was shown by the way they acted towards each other. In particular, in chapter 6, he focused on the rich barons. Now, the rich barons had amassed more and more wealth through deceit. Okay, remember, he talked about the, the balances that they were using. You know, they weren't accurate, so they were ripping off people who came to buy from them. They were stealing from these people. And so, effectively, the rich got richer and the poor were getting poorer. The poor were languishing in starvation. And the people of Israel, they showed no love, no mercy to those in need, but rather they just trampled over them. There was no justice in the land. You know, while this was going on, they continued to offer their sacrifices. They continued to go up to the temple and to offer sacrifices to God, thinking that sacrifices would please the Lord. You know, God was not pleased because it was not from the heart. And we saw that from chapter 6. Let's just go back and read chapter 6, verse 8. It says, He has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly 
with thy God. You know, God had told them what he desired from them. He desired for them to walk uh, justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly before God. Justice, mercy, and humility. That's what God required. That's what God wanted to see in the nation. And each of those three is a reflection of the heart, isn't it? Okay, you, you treat people justly because your heart's right with God. You treat people with mercy because your heart's right. You are humble before God because your heart's right. And so the reality was none of these things were present in Israel because they had forgotten God. Their heart was not right with the Lord. And as chapter 7 now begins, we see the prophet Micah lamenting the state of the nation. He breaks forth with great sorrow at what he sees around him. You know, he begins to look at everything that's going on and he, and he just breaks forth in a cry of sorrow because of the wickedness that's all around him. Everywhere he looks, he sees wickedness. But then midway through the chapter, he wondrously turns his attention to the Lord. And he sees God's future goodness and God's mercy. He sees the faithfulness of Almighty God. And so this evening, we want to consider the two parts to this chapter. And the wonderful truth that no matter how dark the days may seem, God is faithful. So firstly, notice with me this evening, if you would, the prophet's sorrow. The prophet's sorrow. And this is verse 1 down to verse 6. We'll just read verse 1 and 2 again. It says, Woe is me, for I am as when they have gathered the summer fruits. As the grape gleanings of the vintage, there is no cluster to eat. My soul desired the first ripe fruits. The good man is perished out of the earth. There is none upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. They hurt, uh, sorry, hunt every man, his brother with the nets. You know, when we consider the prophets of the Old Testament, you know, we see men who did much more than just declare the message of God. Okay, they didn't just declare God's message with their lips. No, the prophets felt the burden of the people in their hearts, didn't they? They felt the burden of the people. They were actually concerned for their nation. They had great, great sorrow, great anguish over the state of the nation around them. You know, Jeremiah is a great example of this, isn't he? Now, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophets because of the tears that he shed for the nation of Israel. Just turn quickly to Jeremiah chapter 9. I just want to read one verse, Jeremiah 9, verse 1. Jeremiah 9, verse 1, it says, Oh, that my head were waters, and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Now, Jeremiah here expresses his grief. You know, he's, he's weeping over the nation, the state of the nation, their sin, their wickedness. And Micah here is no different. Micah here is lamenting the state of the nation. Very similar to Jeremiah. Now as we begin here in verse 1, we see Micah declaring that looking for a godly person in the nation is like someone you know, looking for summer fruit when the harvest is over. Okay, look in verse 1 again. It says, Woe is me, for I am as when they have gathered uh, the summer fruits as the grape gleanings of the vintage... There is no cluster to eat. My soul desired the first ripe fruits. Okay, so the image here in verse 1 is of a, you know, a man going out into the vineyard and they're going out there in the summertime and they're hoping to find a cluster of grapes or even one ripe fruit to eat, to partake of. 
but there is no cluster to be found. There is nothing left on the vine. It's been stripped bare. It's empty. The harvest is over, so it's been picked clean. There's nothing left. There's no cluster. There's not even one single ripe fruit. Verse 2 goes on to explain the meaning of this image. It says, The good man is perished out of the earth, and there is none upright among men. Now here we see explained clearly for us what he was talking about in verse 1. Micah says, you know, it's it's just like someone going out into the the vineyard in summertime is not going to find any fruit. He says, as I look around the nation, there is no fruit. You see, Israel is the vineyard here. Israel is the vineyard and and what's missing is the fruit of the faithful, the fruit of the godly. The point is, as Micah scans through the land, desiring to find someone who loves God, someone else who honors God, who is living for God, who is faithful, Micah is bitterly disappointed because there's none to be found. Now, essentially, Micah here feels like he's all alone. That's what he's talking about. He's saying, as I look around, it's just me. Micah is like the lone grape left on the vine. Everyone else is gone. There's no one else left. You see, this is why Micah is in such a state, why he says, woe is me. Why he's so concerned about the nation, because he looks around, he doesn't see any godly men, any godly women. He doesn't see anyone living for the Lord. He sees wickedness and sin all around him. Micah then goes on to speak about the evil that he sees around him. He describes men as lying in wait for blood. And hunting each other with a net. Verse 2, the second half there. It says, they all lie in wait for blood. They hunt every man, his brother, with a net. And see, here we have two metaphors. Two metaphors describing their evil treatment of each other. The first describes how they would lie in wait. In other words, you know, they would look for opportunities to steal from one another. To steal the wealth, the substance of others. They would lie in wait and wait for an opportunity to pounce and to take it from their brothers. The second here refers to them laying snares or traps to ensnare them. So it's the idea of cheating them, entrapping their brethren and cheating their brethren out of their substance. See, the point that Micah is making here, there is no love, there is no mercy, there is no justice among the nation, there is no reflection of God. As he looks around, what he sees is that the men are like animals, treating each other in disgusting ways. Instead of being like God's people, they're like animals hunting one another. Verse 3 then describes for us the corrupt leaders in Israel. He says in verse 3, that they may do evil with both hands earnestly, the prince asketh. And the judge asketh for a reward. And the great man, he uttereth his mischievous desire. So they wrap it up. What we have described here is how the leaders in Israel were taking bribes. Yeah, he says that they took reward. They were taking bribes of people to their look the other way. You know, so the poor are getting mistreated. The rulers are getting paid a bribe. So they would look the other way and do nothing about it. Now, instead of enforcing the law, instead of protecting the needy, which is what they were supposed to do, isn't it? They're the rulers. They're supposed to be upholding their law. They're supposed to be enforcing the law and protecting 
the helpless. But instead, these rulers are lining their own pockets. They're taking bribes. In verse 4, then he describes how even the best of these rulers is still like a briar or a thorn. Verse 4, it says, the best of them is as a briar. The most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. And so here he says, you know, even the very best, even when you look and you, you find a ruler who seems to be good, he seems to be a, a good ruler, when you get close to him, you get pricked. You get stabbed by the thorn. He's, he's still a terrible man. He says, even the very best are like briars and thorns. They put on a show of goodness. They pretend to do justice. But they stick, they injure the people in one respect or another. You know, these are the ones who should have been shepherds. They should have been like shepherds, protecting and caring for God's people, the flock of God. That's what their job was. Their job was to care for God's people. But instead, these are the ones bringing pain, suffering and poverty to the people. And because of this, Micah says at the end of verse 4, he says, The day of thy watchman and thy visitation cometh. The day of thy watchman and thy visitation cometh. The watchmen of Israel were God's prophets. They were God's prophets. They were the ones who warned Israel constantly that danger's coming. Okay, because the watchman's the idea of the one upon the wall who sees the enemy coming and they let everyone know. They sound the alarm. God's prophets are the watchmen mentioned here who would warn the people for years, for generations, that judgment is coming. But they wouldn't repent. They wouldn't listen. Just turn quickly to Ezekiel chapter 3. Here we see Ezekiel described as being a watchman of God. Ezekiel 3 and verse 16. And it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman under the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. Now, here we see Ezekiel is called by God to be a watchman unto Israel. And what's his job? His job is to warn Israel, to take the word of the Lord and to warn God's people. That's what all the prophets were. All the prophets were God's watchmen, Micah included. They were God's watchmen crying out that danger is coming. It's on the horizon. And Micah here says that because they've ignored the watchmen, the day of their visitation is coming. It says the day of thy watchmen, the day that thy watchmen spoke about, and their visitation, thy visitation, sorry, cometh. The day of judgment comes. Because they've ignored the watchman. Now, not only was Micah here grieved at the corruption of the officials, the fact that they'd ignored God's watchman, they'd continue to treat the people like this. Micah here also is grieved by the unfaithfulness of the common man. In verse 5, he says, Trust ye not in a friend, put ye not confidence in a guide, keep the doors of thy mouth from her that lieth in thy bosom. For the son dishonoreth the father. The daughter riseth up against the mo her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. 
You know, Micah now describes just how unfaithful the common people are. He describes how you couldn't trust anyone anymore. The nation had got to the point where you couldn't trust your fellow man. You couldn't the place where neighbor couldn't trust their neighbor. Friend couldn't trust friend. Most importantly, families couldn't trust family members. And the very basic building block of society, the family, was falling apart. As Micah looked around, he saw the home being destroyed. And it grieves him. Now the question must be asked, how did the nation get to this point? How do they get to this point where the home is being destroyed, where there's no trust, there's no, there's no honour within the home, amongst society? How do they get to this point? Well, simply it's by disregarding the truth of God's word, isn't it? It's by disregarding the truth of God's word. You see, when God's truth is no longer the standard for society, everything falls apart, doesn't it? When God's truth is no longer the standard, everything falls apart. Because men then determine their own truth, don't they? Truth becomes relative. It's what I believe and what you believe is truth. Truth is relative. Truth is not set anymore. So men determine their own truth and men then live by their own truth, which then destroys everything, doesn't it? It basically means that every man does that which is right in his own eyes with no regard for anybody else. That's why the nation here is treating each other so terribly. Because they've got to this point where this is what I believe and I don't care who I hurt. They're doing as they please with no regard for their fellow man. And it got to the point where it's destroying even the home. You know, sadly, as you and I look around our world today, as we look around our nation, this is exactly what's happening, isn't it? It's exactly what's taking place today. The same thing. Society's fallen apart and it's home that's fallen apart. The home is being destroyed. You know, the leaders of our nation so often are only in it for themselves, aren't they? And they most definitely have no regard for the truth anymore. Have no regard for the truth of God's word. You know, that lack of regard for the truth is shown clearly in the laws that they're passing even now, isn't it? Total lack of regard for the truth of God's holy word. Man is now determining their own truth. Truth is relative. Now, as I said, that in turn means that man is doing as they please with no regard for God, no regard for their fellow man, no regard for who they hurt. And, you know, that lack of regard for the truth is now also destroying the home, isn't it? It's destroying the home. The very foundation of society is crumbling around us, the home. This is God's family unit and it's been pulled apart, it's been destroyed. You know, our nation, like Israel, is in a terrible condition. You know, Micah could have been describing our nation, couldn't he? Our world that we live in. It's in a terrible condition and it's only going to get worse until Jesus comes, isn't it? It's only going to get worse until he comes. And you know, like Micah, it ought to grieve our hearts to see this wickedness. It should. It should grieve our hearts to see this taking place around us. To see such a disregard for God and His Word, for the truth. 
But you know, in the midst of this dark day, we can turn our eyes to him who is faithful, to the one who keeps his promises. And you know, that's exactly what Micah does here from verse 7 and onwards. Micah now concentrates on the Lord's faithfulness. And so we've seen the sorrow of the prophet and now we see the Lord's faithfulness. Look at me in verse 7, it says, Therefore I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. It's a pretty awesome verse, isn't it? Micah's just said, woe is me, and he lists all these things that are happening around him, all this wickedness, all this sin. And what's his response? He says, therefore, I will look, where? Unto the Lord. He turns his attention to the Lord. He turns away from the sin and the wickedness, and he meditates on who? He meditates on God. He meditates on the Lord. Now, Micah here determines that he's going to look to the Lord. He's going to trust in God and wait patiently for God to act. Wait patiently for the Lord to keep his promises. And verse 7 here is the bridge, if you like, that connects the final section to all that's gone on before in the book of Micah. Before this, we've been looking at sin and judgment and, and everything that's coming upon the people. And verse 7 now connects us with the hope for the nation that's listed now in the end of this chapter from verse 8 to 20. And as we consider this last section, we must uh, distinguish, if you like, several different voices. We have the voice of the nation in verse 8 and 10, the voice of the prophet, verse 11 to 14, the voice of the Lord in verse 15, and then the prophet again in verse 16 to verse 20. And we must understand also as we look at these verses that Micah is now looking forward. He's looking forward to the end times. He's looking forward until the time when Israel will come through the great tribulation and they will enter into the millennial kingdom. And so he's looking at future days here, future events. So firstly here we see the voice of the nation. The voice of the nation, verse 8. It says, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Until he pled my cause and, and execute judgment for me, he will bring me forth to the light and I shall behold his righteousness. Then she that is mine enemy shall see it and shame shall cover her which said unto me, Where is the Lord thy God? Mine eyes shall behold her. Now shall she be trodden down as the mire of the streets. Here we see, if you like, the prophet speaking the words of the remnant. Okay, the remnant of Israel. The remnant who's going to come through the tribulation into the millennial kingdom. The remnant here expressing their faith and courage in God. You know, the enemy of Israel had gloated over the defeated Jews. Time and time again, that's how the enemy responded, didn't they? They gloated over the defeat upon the Jews. They said, you know, where is your God? As he says in verse 10 there, where is the Lord thy God? They, they gloated over Israel's defeats. But here we see the people. The people have trust and confidence in God that they will be restored. They have confidence and trust in God that they would rise again. 
that God would raise them up, that God would bring them forth from darkness into light. Verse 8, it says, Rejoice not against me, O one enemy. <coughs> Excuse me. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Now, here's the remnant, and they're saying, Rejoice not at what's happened to me, because I shall arise. The Lord is going to bring us through this. The Lord is going to bring us out of darkness into light. They're looking forward to this hope. You know, there is also acceptance here from the people that it's their own fault they're in this state. Look in verse 9. It says, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he plead my cause and execute judgment for me. He will bring me forth to the light and I shall behold his righteousness. Here we have Israel acknowledging that it's their own fault. They sinned. That's why they're in this state. That's why they're, they're cast off for a season right now until the Lord comes again. And the remnant will acknowledge that, that state. They'll acknowledge that it's their fault, that they've sinned. But by faith, they will look to God. It will bring them forth into the light. You see, God would once again make them a mighty nation. He will. The millennial kingdom will come and Israel will be a mighty nation once more. They will defeat their enemies. They will trample them like mud in the streets. That's the end of verse 10 there. It says, now shall she be trodden down as the mire of the streets. There's coming a day when all of the enemies of Israel will be defeated. Trample them like mire in the streets. Israel will be restored. We have a reference here to Israel's restoration after the tribulation, don't we? That's what we're looking forward. That's what Micah is looking forward to here. The remnant coming forth out of the tribulation into the millennial reign. You know, during the tribulation, Israel will be a target for the Gentile nations. We know this. Under the leadership of the Antichrist, they will come against Israel. You know, Christ will return and he will give his people the victory. He will give them the victory over their enemies. Israel will be restored, as God promised, and their enemies will be silenced. We then have the prophet speaking in verse 11 to 14, the voice of the prophet Verse 11, it says, In that day, in that day that thy walls are to be built, in that day shall the decree be far removed. In that day also he shall come even to thee from Assyria and from the fortified cities and from the fortress even to the, to the river and from the sea to sea and from mountain to mountain. Notwithstanding, the land shall be desolate because of them that dwell therein for the fruit of their doings. Feed thy people with thy rod, the flock, Flock of thine heritage, which dwells uh, sol solitarily in the wood, in the midst of Carmel. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. You know, here Micah now breaks forth. He speaks and he speaks of how great, how glorious it will be in that day because Jerusalem will be rebuilt. The great and glorious day when Jerusalem will once again have the walls built up, it will be restored to its former glory and better. There is coming a day when Israel will see this happen. In the millennial reign, Jerusalem will be restored. The temple will be restored. Go to Isaiah chapter 2 just quickly. <clears throat> Isaiah 2 verse 1 
says the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords in the plowshares, and their spears in the pruning hooks. Neither shall uh, nation, uh, nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come ye, and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Now, Isaiah 2, he was just one example of prophecy concerning this restoration, the new city, the new Jerusalem, and this new temple, and how all nations will go up there to worship the Lord. And that's what Micah is speaking about here. Micah is looking forward to that day when the walls are built, when Jerusalem is restored. But not only that, he goes on to state that the boundaries of the nation will be expanded. Verse 12, it says, In that day also he shall come even to thee from Assyria, and from the fortified cities, and from, from the fortress, even to the river, and from the sea to the sea, and from mountain to mountain. He speaks about how all people will come back to the land, all Israel will come back to the land, and they will possess all the land. All the land that God promised them, finally, Israel will possess in the millennial kingdom. You know, in light of this promise of restoration, the prophet now lifts his heart to the Lord in prayer and he asks the Lord to be a faithful shepherd and take care of his people. Verse 14, it says, Feed thy people with thy rod, the flock of thine heritage, which dwell solitarily in the wood, in the midst of Carmel. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. You know, Micah here longs for the days of old. He's just, he's just spoken about how Israel is going to be restored, going to get the victory over their enemies, how Jerusalem's going to be rebuilt. And he says, Lord, feed your people. He says, Lord, I long for the days of old, the days to be like they were when we came out of the land of Egypt, for you to care for your people, take care of them once again. You know, he longs for the land to be fruitful. He longs for peace. He longs for God being their loving shepherd once more. And in response to this, now we have the voice of the Lord in verse 15. It says, According to the days of thy coming out of the land of Egypt, will I show unto him marvelous things. Now it's as if the Lord replies to Micah here. Micah says, Lord, feed your people, take care of your people. And the Lord says, Micah, I will. I will take care of my people. The Lord assures Micah that he is indeed going to watch over his flock. He's going to care for them in the millennial reign. Just as he cared for them when they came out of the land of Egypt, God will in that future day take care of them, protect them, do marvelous things for them. You know, during the years, <coughs> excuse me, during the years after the Exodus, you know, after Israel comes out of Egypt, they're in the wilderness. They experienced a close relationship with the Lord, did they not? You know, they had the pillar of cloud by day. They had the pillar of fire by night. They had the tabernacle with the Lord's presence dwelling there. They had the manna given to them by the Lord. 
And here the Lord says he will, as in those days, he will take care of them again. He will dwell with his people and he will show them marvelous things. See, Israel's relationship with God will be restored in that marvelous day. And then finally here we see once again the voice of the prophet now in verse 16 to 20. Verse 16, it says, The nations shall see and be confounded at all their might. They shall lay their hand upon their mouth. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent. They shall move out of their holes like worms of the earth. They shall be afraid of the Lord our God and shall fear because of thee. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again, he will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities, and thou wilt cast all their sins in the depths of the sea. Thou wilt perform the truth to Jacob, and the mercy to Abraham, which thou hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. You know, Micah now once again speaks... And he declares that the nations will be confounded when they see all this take place. He says in verse 16 there, he says, The nations shall see and be confounded at all their might. They shall lay their hand upon their mouth, their ears shall be deaf. He says when the nations, the nations stood against Israel, when they see this take place, they're going to put their hands upon their mouth. They're going to be confounded because of the goodness of God towards his people. They're going to realize how wrong they were to fight against God's people. In verse 17, he describes how upon seeing the power of God, the goodness of God, they will lick the dust like serpents. He says in verse 17, they shall lick the dust like a serpent. They shall move out of their holes like worms of the earth. They shall be afraid of the Lord our God and shall fear because of thee. He says in that day, they will see the power of God. They'll see the goodness of God and they will fall flat on their face they will lick the dust like a serpent and they'll come crawling out of their holes in fear in other words the nations will be humiliated and they will come crawling out of their hiding places to submit to almighty God who is on the throne you see in that day it will be complete victory for Israel their enemies will be completely defeated and Christ will be upon the throne you know, Micah now, upon seeing all these wonderful truths concerning Israel's future, he breaks forth now in praise to God for his unfailing love and compassion. Read verse 18 with me. It says, Who is a God like unto thee, that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. You know, Micah here highlights for us the forgiveness of God, doesn't he? You know, after all that Israel has done, after all they've done in forsaking the Lord, forsaking his word, worshipping idols, after their injustice towards the people, their lack of mercy, after all of this, God is still going to pardon their iniquity. God is going to still be merciful unto them and forgive them. You know, Micah here can't contain his praise. It's basically, you know, you can, you can imagine him just shouting forth in praise here from verse 18. He's just exclaiming his joy at what he's seeing. Who is a God like unto thee that 
pardoneth iniquity, and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. Now Micah says, who else is like you, Lord, to forgive in such a manner? And the truth is, no one is. That's the point, isn't it? You know, we cannot understand the forgiveness of God. Man does not have this capacity to forgive, do we? In and of ourselves, we need through Christ to be given this ability. But even then, we can't do it like God. None of us can forgive as God does. God forgives after all of this. He forgives the nation. He restores the nation. You know, truly, as Micah exclaims here, there is none like unto our God. He goes on in verse 19 to praise God for his compassion. He says, he will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. He speaks of how God in his compassion is going to subdue their iniquities. He's going to take their iniquities and cast them into the depths of the sea. Never to be seen, never to be remembered anymore. Now the wonderful point here is, God is going to forgive, but much more than that, God is going to forget them. He's going to get rid of them. He's going to remove them. And God will do this. Why? Because He is a compassionate God. He loves His people. Because of His love, He will pardon their iniquities. He will be merciful unto them in that day. You know, of course, all of this is going to be possible. Why? Because of Christ. Because of Christ. Because in that day, Israel will experience what you and I already know in Christ. You know, if you're here tonight and you've accepted Christ by faith as your Savior, then we have experienced this kind of forgiveness, haven't we? We have experienced this kind of pardon. A pardon that we do not deserve. We are, just like Israel, wicked sinners, are we not? We do not deserve His grace. We do not deserve His mercy. But he has pardoned our iniquity because of Christ. And much more than that, he's taken it and cast it into the depths of the sea. Never to be remembered anymore. What a wonderful, compassionate, merciful God we serve. Truly, we serve a great God, do we not? Now, if we can't read verses like this and get excited, there's something wrong, isn't there? I mean, these are verses that are packed full of theology about our awesome, wonderful God. And it ought to make us get excited about what we have in Him, what He has done for us. Now, Micah then now concludes with verse 20. He says in verse 20, he says, Thou wilt perform the truth to Jacob and the mercy to Abraham, which thou hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. Micah concludes by praising God. Why? Because he knows God will keep his promises. Basically, that's what he says. He says, I know you're going to keep your promises. You're going to do what you said to Jacob. You're going to do what you said to Abraham. You're going to do what you said to all our fathers. You're going to keep your promises. See, Micah, he knows the faithfulness of his God. He knows that his God is going to keep those covenant promises to Israel. God cannot go back on his word. You know, the people hadn't been faithful to God. But God was going to be faithful unto them. You know, verse 18 to 20 here, as I said, truly are glorious verses. Full of glorious truths about our God and His dealings with Israel, but also with all mankind, with you and I. 
You know, Micah here wonderfully highlights for us the character of God, the God that you and I serve, our God. And you've got to remember that as Micah is writing these words, what's he seen? He's looked around and he's seen all the sin, all the wickedness around him. He's just said, woe is me at the start of chapter 7. But then in verse 7, as he turns his eyes upon God and he looks at the future, things start to look a lot brighter, don't they? You see, when he was looking at everything around him, it seemed hopeless, didn't it? It seemed hopeless. It seemed like all was lost. Everything's falling apart. He's all alone. No one's with him. But he turns his eyes upon the Lord and he has hope. Why? Because God is faithful. And beloved, no matter how dark the day may seem, God is still the same. And God will keep his promises. He is faithful. We can trust him. You know, like the Jews, we've been given exceeding great and precious promises. That's First Peter, or Second Peter 1 verse 4, isn't it? We've been given exceeding great and precious promises. Promises like the one that says he will never leave us nor forsake us. Promises such as 1 Thessalonians 4, where he says he's coming back to take us home to glory one day. You know, we could go on and on and list promise after promise that Christ has given us in his word. And beloved, he will keep those promises. You know, we can look around the world today and it's quite easy to become discouraged, isn't it? It's quite easy to become discouraged by our government and what's taking place and the sin and the wickedness all around us. But love, we need to take our eyes off the sin, the wickedness, the world, turn our eyes upon the Lord and trust in Him, for He is faithful. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word. We thank you, Lord, for passages such as this. A passage, Lord, where Micah just turns his eyes upon you. And Lord, he sees one and seeing gloriously what you're going to do for Israel in the future. And Lord, he exclaims just how wonderful you are, how faithful you are to your people. And Lord, you haven't changed. You're still the same God. Lord, I pray that you would help us, no matter how dark the day may seem, to turn our eyes upon you. And Lord, just to trust in you. But Lord, we know that you are faithful. We pray these things in Jesus' name.